Hello, I'm Anna Trithiwi and I'm Deputy Director for Cross Rema Education at Ofsted. And today we're talking about what high quality education looks like in the further education and skills sector with two of His Majesty Inspectors of Further Education and Skills, Dr Richard Bynan and Dr Rebecca Clare. Richard, could you say briefly for me what high quality education is in the FE sector? Hi, okay, yes, um, I'll try, I'll try. As with all education, really, curriculum is the key. I mean, curriculum sits at the centre uh, of what we do, and it's the central focus of the EIF. And that's the Education Inspection Framework, Ofsted's framework that we base inspections on. High quality education means a good curriculum design, and that must be coupled with effective teaching. And uh, all good curriculum design means selecting content that's most important and useful in a given subject, and then teaching the content in an order that helps learners to understand uh, that content. In maths, for example, that might mean teaching learners to calculate area before you teach them about volume. And that doesn't change that that kind of principle doesn't really change whether we're working in further education or higher education or uh, whether people are teaching small children. The evidence shows what's really important to think about is the key building blocks of the curriculum, what foundations need to be laid first so that learners can make connections and build secure knowledge. What we learn isn't retained in isolation. Um, they're like building blocks in a pyramid. We need to, to recognize that things are connected in our understandings. So what we've learned is connected in our memory to all kinds of other things we've learned before. And, and we form connections to things that we learn later. Sometimes we refer to knowledge as, as sticky. And that's because some kinds of knowledge enable other components to stick to them. And this helps to expand our expertise in a given area. Think about really fundamental knowledge in any area, any subject area. And it, it's probably like this. In English, for example, uh, we know what a noun is. Uh, we can build on that to learn about sentence construction, about what we use proper nouns for, collective nouns, abstract nouns, and so on. In maths, um, for example, we understand about division, and from that we can go on to learn about fractions, percentages, proportion, ratio, and, and so on in carpentry and joinery to take a vocational area. If we learn about the properties of, of wood, how and why some wood is soft or hard, how different kinds of wood absorb moisture, for example, we can think about structural defects, about knots in wood. We can then go on to work out which kinds of woods are suitable in which situations for which building projects. So the curriculum content that's selected and put in place early in the curriculum really makes a difference to what learners can learn next. Uh, and sometimes we explain that using the image of something like a Jenga tower. What are the knowledge and skills that really need to be at the base of the tower? What do they support? And what would happen if that component were missing? What can the learners not learn if they don't understand division or sentence structure or the properties of wood or basic sociological concepts like class and gender or think about beauty therapy or, or health or sports, anatomy and physiology and what you build on that in the curriculum. 
So the key things to select, the really key content that learners need to develop expertise in that subject. What are the foundation stones? What content needs to be in place to enable further content to be learned? And in terms of teaching methods, it involves using methods that help learners really embed the knowledge and skills they're learning. I can, I can just about remember when I was at school and quite often as soon as I'd sat an exam, I'd forget the stuff I'd learned because I'd only learned it for the exam. And really good education isn't about just teaching to the test. Uh, exam results matter, of course, but it's about teaching learners so that they can remember what they learn long term. If they learn it well, they can use it in their lives and jobs. They can add to it and evaluate it and critique it and apply it in all kinds of situations. So it's the opposite of what some people call the jug and mug approach, really. Um, it's not just pouring knowledge in to sit there doing nothing. Learners need to remember what they're taught. It's not about filling up memory just for exams. It's about real learning to enhance real jobs and real lives. That's likely also to involve a curriculum that, that helps learners learn about how knowledge is produced and evaluated. So not just learning about atoms, but learning about scientific method not just learning about theories of leadership, but learning about how such theories are produced, tested and revised. Uh, what counts as, as given knowledge as knowledge in a given subject or a job? Why? What are the rules of the game for using that? Um, knowing the rules helps learners develop real expertise at work and in further study. It also helps them incidentally to know how to tell the difference between a uh, a warranted conclusion and an unwarranted one, uh, high qu high quality information and fake news, a valid conclusion and a, a conspiracy theory, for example. OK, thanks. So what else can we say about curriculum design? What should be included? Oh, well, one thing to think about is, is the curriculum broad and ambitious? A high quality curriculum's knowledge and skills rich, so it focuses on the content learners need to increase expertise in a given subject. What do learners, it's quite simple really, what do learners really need to know if they're to go on to become expert joiners, bricklayers, mathematicians, hairdressers, chefs and engineers? What content needs to be in place now at the level the learners are studying to provide a foundation for later development of increasing expertise? And of course, some learners might choose not to go further, but that should be their choice, not the teacher's choice. A good curriculum opens more doors and it's up to the learner to choose which doors to go through and which to close. If the curriculum itself closes the doors because it misses out key knowledge and skills, then learners' options are limited and that's the opposite of an ambitious curriculum. And of course, in, in terms of um, teaching, learners need several things. First, it's usually best if the teaching methods really focus clearly on the curriculum to be learned. If there's plenty of time allocated to the subject, if teachers use methods that the evidence shows encourage recall and support understanding, methods like very clear explanations and spaced repetition of the most crucial content, expert demonstrations, for example, of skills in the classroom. And uh, at work, you might use case studies explaining how new fits with old, reducing distractions. Um, that's usually having a positive impact. Teaching is an evidence-based profession. There's a good deal of research about what works. Of course, there's, you know, there's always room for innovation too, but really good teachers are familiar with the evidence 
and have expertise in what is some kind, sometimes called pedagogical content knowledge. That means they know how to make a subject accessible to learners. We've all met experts who really know their subject but can't teach it for toffee. Well, an expert teacher not only knows their subject, but they know how to teach it in ways that help learners understand it. Yeah, and that means having really high expectations of what learners can do. So it reminds me of Amanda Spielman talking about the fact that social justice is at the heart of high quality education built around a rich curriculum. So Amanda's view is that the best way to tackle inequality and the lack of social mobility is through high quality education. Given that we're all educators, that's presumably presumably a view we share. And knowledge is power. The more knowledge and skills we have, the more options we're likely to have and the more control we have over our own careers and lives. And of course, other things contribute to that. But in our role, we're concerned with the transformative power of education. So a really high quality education, which means a really high quality curriculum taught well, should be available to all. Um, and our job in Ofsted is to help to ensure that it is. Yeah, knowledge is power, you're right, and life transforming. What about skills? Is there a divide between knowledge and skills? We can think of skills actually as a kind of knowledge, sometimes called know-how or procedural knowledge. So if we think about the skill of, I don't know, planing a piece of wood or playing the guitar or changing a tyre, and lots of skills. Think think about giving a facial massage, for example, are actually really very complex composites made up of a whole collection of individual parts that learners have to master before they can do this skill. So beauty students have to learn about facial anatomy and physiology, things like contraindications, beauty products, client care, massage strokes and more before they can give an expert facial massage. So that's crucial. In FES, learners and apprentices are learning really very complex material. They're learning the theoretical knowledge like anatomy and physiology and often a skill such as different massage strokes. And then they need judgment to know which knowledge and skills to apply in which situation. And that's really the development of expertise, knowing how to work out the products and techniques to use for different clients, knowing which wood to use for garden furniture and which for bookcases, knowing how to make decisions that result in profitable, thriving businesses, how to diagnose and remedy faults in cars or software. So there are different layers of curriculum content. And it's not possible to say that theory is more important than the skill, they go together. I, th I think it's also interesting to think about what some people call muscle memory or embodied cognition. If we think about learning to play an instrument or dance or knead bread and the, the kind of learning that's going on there as well. Uh, and of course, uh, there's a need to think about in apprenticeships, particularly the knowledge that, that learners gain on the job too the workplace knowledge, sometimes tacit, that needs to be passed on, um, the sequence of things that are learned in the, in the classroom and on the job. We've seen really good examples of education providers working with employers to plan a curriculum that helps learners and apprentices make great progress and do really well at work. For example, by uh, ensuring that an apprentice chef has learned about food hygiene before they start working in the kitchen. Yeah, of course, parts of FE and skills have such strong links to work in the economy and to making sure learners and apprentices do have the right skills for the economy. Yeah, and the right knowledge and skills for their own careers and lives. Education's about an enriched, empowered life, holding conversations and holding jobs. So a high quality curriculum often has a line of sight to work. 
yeah, to broad careers, especially a really good curriculum prepares a learner to be a master carpenter or joiner who can turn their hand to a wide variety of different jobs and employers and self-employment. Doesn't just prepare them to perform a narrow range of tasks for one house builder, for instance. Got it. And I guess that's one of the reasons why it's important to include really fundamental pr principles and theoretical knowledge rather than what used to be called, uh, it was called a competency based approach, wasn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely it. If learners just learn competencies, uh, competencies or, or just learn by imitation without an understanding uh, of the reasons and the theory underneath what they're doing, they have a narrow understanding. It's it's insecure. Um, they can perform a technique, but they might not understand why they're doing certain things and what the effect of those things will be. They almost certainly won't be able to judge for themselves what's the right thing to do because they won't have the expertise. So is there a one approach to curriculum design in each subject that is best? Now, there's usually multiple effective ways of planning the curriculum. And I guess some subjects like learning to read probably require a more consistent approach. It makes sense uh, to start novice readers of any age with phonics, for example, rather than just handing them pieces of text. But if we think about a subject like music, where there might be a number of different starting points, um, learning stave notation or listening to plain song or finding out about the history and context of the development of jazz and blues, for instance, or, or think about sociology, you could start by teaching Marxist theory or stratification or key social institutions or crime and deviance. The important thing is that curriculum choices make sense and help learners to make good progress. Um, for example, if I'm teaching English and I want students to analyse a political speech before I've taught them anything about rhetoric, the students may well make less progress. That is, they'd understand less about the speech than if they'd studied some rhetoric first. I might also need to pre-teach some of the political concepts in the speech. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we're inspecting, we, we have conversations with teachers and curriculum leaders about the components they choose and, and the order in which they teach them. You know, a frequent conversation that you'll hear and a frequent comment you'll hear from inspectors is why this now? Why this today? This Why are you teaching this this morning? Um, we want to understand teachers' decisions. We we also want to find out about the impact on learners. Can they, in fact, analyse a political speech well? Can they read music or explain the origins of jazz or blues? It's no use asking a learner to debate something if they haven't got any knowledge of the topic. It's no use expecting learners to cook a souffle if they don't know how to crack an egg. So logical sequencing to enable the learner to progress through the curriculum is absolutely crucial. And if learners and apprentices aren't making much progress, we need to think about why that is. Is it because the curriculum design's gone wrong or is it because it hasn't been taught in ways that help learners learn? OK, is that different for adult learners? Do they need to be teaching in a different way? No, the, the novice expert distinction is key. It's not, not, not the age difference. So an adult starting out on a new curriculum is a novice. Novices need clear exposition and plenty of practice and tasks that enable them to learn the curriculum and corrections of misconceptions. There's evidence that novices and experts learn in slightly different ways or benefit from slightly different uh, approaches to teaching. So once a learner's developed expertise in a subject, they might well then benefit from more group work and debate and discussion. There's less risk of sharing misconceptions and more chance of, of sharing knowledge. And, and when we're thinking about experts and novices, we, we, an expert 
is an expert in a particular curriculum. So you might have a PhD in maths, but you, you might be a novice on a new curriculum, on an art curriculum. And that effect, that novice expert trajectory applies regardless of age. So group work and debates and independent learning are more likely to work with learners of any age who've mastered some of the curriculum and who've got knowledge to share and build on. What does success look like for learners? They, they have learned and can use more of the curriculum. Uh, you know, for example, chefs understand the fundamental principles of cooking and can apply them in a, in a wide range of issues in a lot of different circumstances and different kitchens. Um, sociologists can understand sociological theory and research methods and can apply both of those then to a wide range of topics. If learners learn more and remember more and understand more and can use more of the curriculum over time, that's likely to be reflected in their achievement, promotions, good grades, good jobs and so on throughout their careers. Is there not always a positive correlation between making progress through the curriculum and passing exams then? I mean, we've heard this before, haven't we? Well, almost always, but not always. Um, for example, very occasionally we see that high grades uh, are, for example, the result of learners being on a course that, that's too easy for them. It, so there, there can be exceptions to that connection, but usually the best way to examine success is to learn and understand more of a high quality curriculum. It's usually a win-win. Learners develop expertise. This is reflected in exam results and other things like responsibilities, promotion, increased self-esteem and so on. And success in FES is relative to the curriculum too. So for example, in adult and community learning and on programmes for learners who've got high needs, learners might not be on courses that have exams. So uh, success might mean increased independence or reduced isolation or greater involvement with the community. So you can see the common theme in all of this, though. It's about empowering learners and apprentices, whatever the context. Thank you, Richard and Rebecca. Empowerment is probably a great point to finish on. Thanks very much. <laughs>